Welcome to Attenuation, a weekly podcast where two friends come together to drink beer, discuss beer styles and trends, and just generally ruminate on the meaning of life, aka beer. If you enjoy your time with us, we invite you to become a weekly listener and subscribe to the podcast. Without further ado, here is this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of Attenuation, a beer podcast. My name is Jason, and I'm joined by my best friend since eighth grade, Stephen. Hello. <laughs> Today, thanks, thanks for the cue card, man. Yeah, you guys can't see it, listeners at home, but I literally held up a cue card that says hello on it. <laughs> so we could nail our intro this time. And we did it. We nailed it. So it only took 14 tries. And I have a script and you have a cue card. So mm-hmm. that's all we needed. <laughs> We're professional. Okay, Learning so, from our mistakes. Yeah. Okay, so today we are going to be covering the potential off flavors that can arise in beer from a number of different sources. But before we get into that, we have to do the best part of the podcast, and that's drinking beer. So, oh, yeah. Yes. So I'm going to introduce mine, and then I will give some nose notes. And then Stephen has a very special tasting today, so I will let him introduce that. But I am actually drinking a beer that was given to me to be tasted and reviewed on the podcast by a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mr. Matt. And this is Empiric from Roostaller, which is in our neck of the woods in Northern California. And this is a Thai pepper black IPA that he accidentally purchased, not knowing it was a Thai pepper beer. (laughs) So I I really like spicy food, so um, he thought this would be up my alley. So I will be trying this one. I don't well, know, we know how you like uh, spicy peppers in your beer. I do actually, so I'm excited. Oh, what's the style? So it says IPA, but like look at the color. What? So online it says it's a black IPA. Oh okay okay yeah. Okay. But it's pouring like it looks totally like a stout. So. It's very dark. Um, it has a thick caramel-colored head and just like a carpet of bubbles that are persisting. So I can definitely smell the pepper on here on the nose. And then it's got a lot of almost like stout smells. Like I smell coffee, caramel, but it also has a little bit of IPA. I mean, this is going to be a very interesting one. All right, let me dive into this. Hopefully I like it. And then I will. Let, while I'm doing that, I'll let Stephen introduce his special tasting. First off... I want to say my voice is my sexy voice. I've been fighting some laryngitis this week, so I apologize. Don't get too used to the sexy voice, okay? Because it's gonna go, it's gonna go back to the less sexy version. But anyway, I'm gonna be drinking a lot of water on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I've done one side by side tasting on this podcast, and we had to work through that one a little bit. Well, I decided to um, complicate it and do a side by side by side tasting today, a three way. So I somehow came to have three different pickle beers in my fridge. <laughs> That's what happens when you move to Texas. You embrace the pickle. So this is, you, this is three completely different pickle beers. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> so was the real, the first one, there's a funny story, actually. So anyway, the first one is from Martin House Brewing, which I've been posting a lot of Martin House beers on Instagram. I love this brewery. They just like they make such good sours, and even the the Miss Marmalade, Little uh, Lady Marmalade side by side tasting I did that was also Martin House. So this is another Martin House beer. They actually um, there's a brand of pickles called Best Made Pickles. This is the Best Made Pickle beer. They actually use Best Made pickle juice. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, it actually literally looks like the, the Best Made pickle jar. So there's a funny story, though. There's another brewery in, um, uh, it's a little bit south of Austin, called New Braunfels Brewery. And I just found out that (laughs) they actually brewed a pickle beer when they first did it. I don't know how many years ago it was. And soon after they brewed one and released it, uh, Martin House brewed theirs and released it. And then sometime later, New Braunfels did their spicy version. And then just a few months later, Martin House released their spicy version. 
And then same thing happened again with their another iteration of the pickle beer. Martin House very soon after brewed one similar. And so <laughs> so the, they just did a fourth one from New Braunfels, a fourth iteration. And when they released it on when they posted on Twitter about the release, they said, this week we're releasing the next pickle beer that Martin House will be brewing or something like that. That's awesome. <laughs> so totally trolled Martin House. And they said it's all in good fun. They don't care. Like Martin House can brew whatever beers they want. They don't. There's no copyright on beer or whatever. So they're totally chill about it. They're just being funny. Martin House. I don't know if, if Martin House is being funny as well or if they really are just like annoyed at the claim that they're ripping beers off from New Braunfels. But their response when they said New Braunfels Brewery is calling you out about copying their beer, they said, who? Brutal. <laughs> Brutal. Oh, my gosh. That's like, uh, didn't Mar- Mariah Carey do that? <laughs> to, she did that to J-Lo, I think. Did she? She denied knowing who J-Lo was. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, so, who? That was great. I thought it was great. I think it's all. I think it's all in good fun, but yeah, what a what a clever comeback. Hopefully, there's no real animosity there. No, yeah. <laughs> and Martin House has is way more well known and way more distribution, so they kind of have the ability to say who. But. Gotcha. Okay, so I'm gonna open this first one and pour it out. I've had this one. This is the one of the three that I've had. And <laughs> okay, I'll smell of it. It just smells like pickles. It's so ridiculous. It's just pickle juice, basically. <laughs> There's not even, I mean, they says call they call a sour pickle beer. I think they consider it a goza, but it's just like there's nothing else to get on the nose mm-hmm. other than pickles. I guess maybe what I'll do is pour out all three. I'll okay. introduce the second one. Uh, the second one is Freetail Brewing. They're in San Antonio, Texas. This is called Puro Pickles, like pure in Spanish, Puro, pu- Puro, um, and it's a kettle soured pickle goza. I should have done the ASMR podcast. You're, this is the this was the episode to do it with your voice. You you have the perfect ASMR voice today. Okay, this one has way more head on it. The um, best made one from Martin House pours a very very effervescent and then no retaining head. The uh, free tail one has a pretty thick head, stays there for a while, and it's smelling like a goza. Interesting. Yeah, so it has much more of a like that sort of lemony tart grassy smell to it. Do you get any pickles on the nose or I do, but it's pretty subtle. Hmm. Okay. And my third one is from Prairie Artisan Ales. It's called Spicy Pickle Monster. So this one's kind of weird. This is sour ale with spicy dill pickle juice, orange, lemon, oh, and lime. So orange, lemon, and lime and dill pickles. Ooh, okay, this one, I'm, this is the most, in, I'm most intrigued by this one. And this one's spicy pickles, so. Well, that's one. also, yeah, the spiciness and then also those additional flavors. You know how I like my long list of flavors. <laughs> that one I definitely had to buy in a single, because, you know, not buying a four-pack of that. So this is similar to the second one, where it's like, it's smelling like a, actually more like a Berlin or Weiss. Even more lemony, like lemon and lime, sort of like Sprite flavors. Hmm. Okay. And it was very effervescent, too. No retaining head on this one. And definitely pickle, but it's about as subtle as the second one. All right, I'm going to dive into these. I believe I'm ready to give my tasting notes. So I think I think our friend is testing me <laughs> on this beer because I'm not really getting any IPA expression in this at all. So now I'm having a callback to last episode. I'm having imposter syndrome. But when I taste this, I get there's a malt entrance and then really the spiciness, like the Thai pepper doesn't come in until the very end. But it, I feel like it does express early on as black pepper. I'm getting black pepper and caramel in the development. And then on the aftertaste, like as soon as you swallow, I get black coffee and then slowly rising. Like if you were like turning up gain on a stereo, you get the that pepper, that spicy pepper comes in and the finish is super long and it sort of gets a little bit more and more and more spicy as the finish, uh, proceed, you know, proceeds, um, after you swallow. So overall, I actually really like this. It's, it's, it's reminiscent of other sort of like pepper beers I would have. Um, but I'm a little bit confused about the IPA part. I'm not really getting this. It's almost to me, this kind of just tastes like a, a, a Thai pepper stout almost. 
So could be the uh, inability of my uh, of of me being able to detect on the palette, but that's what I get. That's what I get from at least. So I'll touch base with him when he listens to this episode, and and, and I'll see if this was a test. <laughs> but no, awesome. I like it. So you're not getting a lot of hops then. No, like maybe in the entrance, there's a little bit of hops, like a little bit of molten hop. But then really after that, it's like kind of the what you would kind of taste on a stout. So like caramel coffee yeah and then the spiciness just takes over at the end of the beer but i I actually do really like it um i'm definitely gonna finish this one oh and i don't think i mentioned it's 8.6 percent so pretty strong and not really getting a booze note so it's well well integrated into the beer overall i brought up some of the notes online because i was just trying to check check my work basically and um yeah, someone pointed out, I think there's a misprint on the can. <laughs> they forgot to say, this is a black IPA, like, uh, when you pour it out. it's Because it just says Thai pepper IPA on the can. Yeah, that's so weird. <laughs> yeah, you'd be really surprised if you bought it thinking you're going to pour an IPA into your glass, and then uh, this came out. So. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, definitely a fun one. Okay, so, so how's gotta... your uh, triple tasting going over there? It's really interesting. I didn't think there was going to be this much difference in all three beers. Um, of course, the first one, like I said, I had had it already. It's just, it is very, very pickle juice. Like, it is like drinking, literally, like drinking carbonated pickle juice out of the jar. Like, I don't think there's much of a distinction at all. There's no other notes to get. It has a, an amazing salinity to it. Like, I mean, if you need some salt, if you're having like a potato chip salt craving, like... This would do it. Like, it is so salty. That sounds really good. And then the puro from Freetail, it is it's a really good goza. Okay. Like, yeah, it's just like it's like a pickle goza, but like the it's like a goza first, um, with just a nice little pickle like that complements the salinity of what you would get in a goza anyway. It's really good. Yeah, but it's not um, like taking over the whole beer. No, no, like it's very well balanced. Um, in terms of brewing a goza um, and then adding sort of a, a flavor or a fruit or an adjunct to it, it works really well. I mean, it, it makes sense because it's, you know, it's a salty beer anyway, but they did a really good job with it. And it's melding really well with the like lemony flavors you would get from a goza. Yeah, that makes sense because like, I think my favorite expression of goza is when they do like a margarita goza, just because I think it kind of goes hand in hand with that flavor profile. But Pickle actually really does sound like it would go kind of with the overall Goza profile, so that sounds fun. Yeah, it's really good. The Prairie Art is an ale sour pickle monster. It's very similar to that one too. Is it like it, it feels more sour wheat ale forward with like the pickle on the back end, not really parsing out much of the um, the orange. The lemon and lime is coming through for sure, sort of in the same way that sort of margarita Goza, where you have a lime you know, salty lime kind of flavors um, working well in the Goza beer. What I don't like about it is the, the heat that, like, burns your throat after. <laughs> so that is something I find, like, it's not really spicy till the end, huh? No, not at all. Uh-uh. Yeah, that's what I find in almost all beers with, like, pepper. It's not really till the aftertaste that it gets hot. So that is kind of a commonality between them. So you would, you think this would be a better beer if it didn't have the spiciness? It was just a regular pickle. Yeah. Yeah. Because, so I bet I would like that though. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's weird is that like it's I don't get like it's not even spiciness on my tongue. It's like I don't get it until it just feels like it's burning my throat. <laughs> it's not an enjoyable heat. Okay. Fair enough. If I had to pick a winner, it would be the puro because it's this really nice balance goes a this not overwhelmingly pickle. I mean, I I think I get what Martin House is doing here. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not playing games. They just wanted to make a fun pickle beer. Right. Um, and it's very popular. It's very popular. But And I've been seeing this free tail one on the shelf for a while, and I just kept thinking, like, well, like, what's going to be the difference, you know? Like, But I finally was like, well, I kind of want to just try it out and do this side-by-side tasting. So um, I grabbed it, and I'm actually really pleasantly surprised. I'm glad I did, because it's actually a beer I might get again. Oh, nice. That's definitely a thumbs up then. All right, very good. Well, those were our drinking beer, uh, the drinking beer segment. Um, I actually have really cool beer news um, this week. So I'm subscriber to Beer Advocate. I really like Beer Advocate. 
you know, the, people just rate beers on there. There's a lot of information. Um, you can look at um, just like a brewery and they'll give you information on all the beers they make, where they're located. And then every single beer is ranked in a category. And they have something called the top 250 list. So these are the top 250 rated beers on the whole site. And I'll actually tell you right now, the number one beer is Kentucky Brunch Brand Stout from Toppling Goliath. So I got an email regarding this list, however, because actually to call back the first time we went to Great American Beer Festival, Stephen, I was like desperately researching the top 250 list because I wanted to see like what beers I could try because these a lot of these beers are very very difficult to get and so I actually got an email specifically addressing that they basically they're asking if they should split up the top 250 list into two lists because one of the things they noted about the top 250 list it's very stagnant for a couple of reasons one a lot of these beers are they're either only made like once a year or some of them are complete one-offs where I don't know if they'll be made again. So it's very difficult for the list to evolve. And then it's very frustrating to people. Like if you wanted to try, if your bucket list was, I want to try all the top 250 beers, it might be an impossible task because some of these beers may not be made again, or they're made once a year. And they, you know, it's one of those beers that sell out in like 10 minutes and you can only pick it up at the brewery. So it's like, okay, good luck checking that one off so they put forward a vote to actually split the list into two lists so they'd have a top 250 kind of basically this traditional list i think they'd leave it as is but then they would have a 250 top 250 of beers that are um brewed year round so constantly available and the vote as of the time i was voting was uh winning 75 percent to 25 percent and i think i read some of the comments everyone thought this was a good idea and i'm actually super excited because and i think that's how a lot of people feel is if they do a top 250 list of beers that are brewed year round they're probably going to be much more available so if you wanted to have a you wanted to check all 250 of those beers off it might still be pretty difficult to get some of the ones that are you know region locked but it's going to be much easier than <laughs> it's going to be way easier than checking all 250 off this um the tri- the list as they have it now so i'm excited i don't know when the i don't know when that would be taking place i didn't read too closely if there's like a uh after they close the vote but it looks like it definitely looks like the splitting the list is going to become the reality so they would have a top 250 of year-round brewed beers, and I, I'd be actually I'd be fascinated to see like what's in the top 50 on that one. So oh, something so excited to see. Yeah, that. I think a lot of people are excited. So uh, something to look forward to. Um, this was posted Tuesday, so we're recording on the 18th. So this is posted um, June 15th, and I, I think it's still running. So I assume when they close this poll, and uh, it looks like the yeses will have it though they'll open up that second 250 list. So it's a thing to look forward to. And I think that would be a fun goal to try to check off that type 50 list and it's evolving list. So, you know, some of those things like you could probably never fully check it off um, because, you know, things are going to rise and fall out of the bottom ranks, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be a much more uh, easier uh, list to tackle. Still difficult, but maybe more doable. So I have my eyes on that. I wonder if it would end up being affected by regional distribution and stuff, you know, because like the number one Mexican food in America is Taco Bell. Is it really? (laughs) Well, like, yeah, on some vote, but like that's the only one that would get that many votes, right? Because like one local Mexican restaurant is not going to get enough votes to be considered like America's best Mexican food, right? You know what I mean? Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? So it'd be interesting to see how, like, well, I don't know, I guess, how they're going to rank them and how they'll, how that will play into it. Because, like, same thing with, like, beer. Like, the top three craft beers in the country. Like, not not Beer Advocate, but, like, I don't know what the poll was, but, like, it was, like, Sierra Nevada, Bell's Two-Hearted, and something else. But anyway, like, they're just, they're very, like, widely available beers. Right, so the only way they can even get voted to the top is that like basically anybody can get them no that makes sense yeah i know they have a pretty complex i know you need like a certain number of ratings to actually like get uh in the running for the top 250 
Yeah. I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know they do like it's an average score across like the user ratings, and then I think they might have other ratings too that mm. they kind of factor in. But yeah, you're hundred percent right. Like if something is more widely available, it's gonna have a lot more ratings. Actually, it's funny. I'm just scanning the list now. And for example, Hetty Topper from The Alchemist is number five, and it has 14,980 ratings for an average rating of 4.76. Whereas, like, um, King Julius from Treehouse is number seven. It only has 761 ratings, but it has a very, it has the same average rating of 4.76. So, Hetty Topper, you know, has. <laughs> more than 15 times as many ratings just because yeah it's, that's a super sought after beer and i think a lot of people go for that heady topper so and available right yeah like, i don't and know available, how available right. king julius is uh, treehouse stuff seems like it's really hard to get yeah because i just i've never seen it like on tab or i've never seen it available online so and i know i think you saw heady topper on was that craft, on craft shack yeah yeah so a little bit maybe easier to get. So yeah, it is going to get more votes. So yeah, they'll have to balance all that out. And I think they do have a system to do that. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be excited to see what's on there. Definitely. I, th- I think um, Pliny the uh, Pliny the Elder is going to do quite well because I believe that's made year round. Yeah, Pliny the Elder is going to do well. Hetty Topper yeah. is going to do well. <laughs> yeah. Um, it would be f- uh, like Pseudo Sue will do well. Yeah. Um, and King Sue. I'm trying to think of something else. I would like to see maybe something from Weldworks, like Juicy Bits, do well or something like that. Yeah. That, uh, that would be cool. Maybe some hazy IPAs that would start to crack the. The more I think about it, the more I'm like obsessed with that as a category. Because what's going to happen is a lot of the stouts are going to go away. Yes, exactly. And it is, it is almost an art in its own right. To not only be making like one of the best beers in the world, but be, to be making it all the time. There's something like almost even cooler about that, because you're making something amazing and you're making it year-round. So, well, I think what happens too with that list is that it really is dominated by stouts. Mm-hmm, it is. And um, you know, with these one-off stouts or the once-a-year stouts, um, you know, they're heavily barrel-aged and they're very, very complex beers and. Those are the beers that are going to end up being like, um, you know, dissected and rated, and and when they're good, they're going to be very, very good. So I think they end up dominating that that list. Um, but I think to take away the beers that are only brewed occasionally and the aging, you know, plays a huge, yeah. huge role in that. Um, but yeah, you take that out of the equation, and it'd be interesting to see what's left. Yeah, so I think if they release this list, we should do an episode on it. Yeah, we can talk That's about like the top thirty. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that was our beer news. We're gonna keep an eye on that, and then for our main topic, we are gonna talk about off flavors of beer, and we are gonna highlight four for you today. So I'm gonna let Stephen take point on this with the first off flavor. So yeah, I wanted to do this episode. Um, Mostly because, in certainly because this is such a hobby for me, I want to recognize bad beer when I get it, and I want to recognize why it's bad beer. Um, especially if you get something in a can off the shelf, something maybe doesn't have a can on date or something, and you just don't know how old it is. Something from like a newer brewery or a smaller brewery maybe like tastes off for some reason. Um, it might just be that they don't clean their equipment well enough or something like that. And it's good to be able to like recognize that when you're drinking and think, oh, like, eh, maybe they didn't clean their equipment this time. You know, and maybe don't give up on that brewery or maybe you mention it and say like, hey, this tasted a little off. But anyway, so I just thought this was like a good practice in finding out what some of those flavors in beer are that like aren't supposed to be there. And some of them are there. But if the quantity of that compound or whatever um, becomes too high, it makes the beer bad. So it could potentially make the beer good in small quantities and then larger quantities make the beer bad. Yeah, that's an interesting balance they have to uh, maintain there. And one of the things that like people who certainly people who brew beer and then people who are beer judges, you know, 
I can't remember what the I think there is sort of an equivalent to like a wine sommelier in yeah, beer. Yeah, for beer, yeah. Yeah. But you know, any beer judge of a beer competition, those people are gonna be very good at tasting beers and parsing out flavors and finding off flavors. Um one of the things that they would do to practice would be to take like a very, very light lager. Super, super light lager, very not um, you know, very basic beer with no complex flavors. And then they would take like say um, so this first one we're going to talk about is diacetyl. Diacetyl is a compound in beer. It's made from fermentation. So the natural yeast fermentation process of the beer will create diacetyl. What's nice about diacetyl is that the yeast will then reconsume it and break it down. So as long as you're, you let your beer ferment long enough um, and you don't take it off the yeast too quickly... These will have time to uh, reabsorb the diacetyl, so that that shouldn't be an issue. That compound is butter. It literally tastes like butter. It's why butter tastes like it is. It's why if you buy Orville Redenbacher's microwave popcorn, uh, you read on the ingredient list, it will say diacetyl because they're just adding that as your as your artificial flavoring of butter. That's crazy. So that's what I was when I worked at the movie theater. That's what I was pouring on the popcorn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so buttered popcorn flavor, sometimes morphing into more of like a butterscotch flavor, depending on how sweet the beer is. But the other main thing with the diacetyl, well, the main cause of it, uh, other than taking the beer off of fermentation too early is just a bacterial infection. Your souring bacteria like lactobacillus or pedococcus, those bacterium uh, create a lot of diacetyl. They produce a lot of diacetyl in their fermentation. So if you have a lactobacillus bacterial infection in your beer, you can get a lot of diacetyl. We talk a lot about um, like kettle souring. We're using the lactobacillus in the brewing process that works if you do it on the hot side and then you boil off the bacteria but if that bacteria um, infects your beer on the cool side that's when you're going to have problems the other time that can happen is if your yeast isn't healthy enough or isn't fermenting enough um, you don't have the yeast don't outcompete the bacteria because you can get like technically brewing beer is not a 100 percent sterile process nothing right. ever re- really is right so um technically you can get a few bacteria in a beer but it's just whether the yeast completely outcompetes it or not is and that because the yeast has like a massive head start yeah exactly yeah so the bacteria can't really get established yeah and one of the ways you can um reduce diacetyl in your beer is to do what's called krausening which is essentially where you take a, a wort that's already actively fermenting and you add that to the to the new wort so you already have uh, yeast that's working and like at full speed. Oh, fascinating. So you don't have a lag. Yeah, to it makes me yeast. think of like um, yogurt or sourdough or something like that. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. You have your starter. Yeah, <laughs> your starter wort. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's krausening. So that's used a lot in beer to, to create healthy fermentation. So that's diacetyl. Um, but what I was going to say is that, like, judges who are trying to tr- train their palate, you can buy butter flavoring at the store, <laughs> and it's diacetyl. So <laughs> you can awesome. do it, like, dropper by drop into, a, like, a light lager until you taste it. Wow, so you train yourself to taste it. Yeah, exactly, which is really cool. I, I just love the idea of, like, sitting down and starting to train your palate because... Again, for me, this is such a hobby, and I'm still such a newbie at, like, parsing out flavors and figuring out how to explain what I'm tasting. So, Stephen, I looked it up. It's called a Cicerone. Oh, That's okay. the, the equivalent of a, a sommelier for beer. Cool. And I, I think there's a certification course. It looks like... Um, Definitely. Yes, and there's a four-hour exam, <laughs> apparently. But you should do it. We should both do it. We should get... um. You think we could? I don't know. I so honestly, I do think they're um, like uh, your palate. Everyone's palate is on a natural spectrum of like a super taster versus not a super taster. Mm-hmm. And I honestly don't know where I land. I know um, I have watched reviews. Actually, in the Scotch universe, 
there's a guy named Ralphie, if anyone else likes scotch. And he has got to be a super taster because he will just laundry list off flavors when he tastes something. And I'm very impressionable, so maybe it's a little bit of my own fault of then I think I taste them. But yeah, he is definitely parsing like on a level that I don't think I am. So I don't know what like my my um natural baseline ability is, but I'm sure if you do like if you train like you go through the training, it's going to build you up to a certain level. Like I don't know, if you think about like basketball, like you could teach anybody to play basketball. Some people are going to take it a lot further than others, but you you can give people to play. So I would, yeah, I'd be super interested if there was like a class or whatever you could take and they'd like teach you, uh, because a lot of it too is like recognition. So you have to, you have to understand what you're looking for. So that's super cool. Yeah. And I think the only way to do that is to actually sit down with the flavors and put them in beer until you can taste them and then realize like, oh, that's how it's going to express, you know? Right. Because I think sometimes too, especially with off flavor, you're tasting a beer and you're like, you know, there's so many other flavors, right? There's hot flavors and, and malt flavors and stuff. And, you know, this is just one compound out of many. Um, but this just happens to be an off compound. And so you're sitting there, like, drinking and going, something's not right. Like, you know something's not right. It's just being able to figure out what's not right. I was reading this article about just, like, some beer tasters, professional, you know. And it was at a brewery. They were just, like, they were taking them through some of the beers at the brewery and you know getting notes and stuff and they te- but they they wanted to test them so they threw in like one IPA but that was like it was old and they wanted to see like what they would say and 100% of them got it 100% oh, of them dude, like, that's so cool said, yeah like oh this is this is the old IPA I love so, that they all passed the test that's so awesome. yeah so great so so it is possible to train yourself to know those things so but i think it would be super fun i don't know for me this is like the beer snobbery in me to be at a brewery or something and taste something taste the beer and be like oh yeah this is definitely a beer bacterial infection or they took this off the yeast too early (laughs) the diacetyl in this beer is just way too high (laughs) that is pretty awesome Anyway, that's diacetyl. If you taste butter in your beer, that's that's what that's from. It actually reminds me of, have you ever seen that? This is a documentary. I think it's called Sour Grapes. It's about a guy who was basically like faking really good wine. So he would, you know, these like thousand dollar bottles of wine. He would keep the bottle and keep the cork. And then he would, he was yeah. a super taster. So he was very good at tasting. And he would basically recreate it using different wines mix them together and then resell the bottle with the new wine and he was getting away with it for so long because just not the right people were tasting it and when you're dealing with wine that's like that expensive and that rare at some point during the um his basically his uh scam someone like a sommelier tasted one of those and was like no this is not right like and then he kind of like spurred, he got like, and then uh, it kind of goes all over the place. You should really watch it. But it was basically that one tasting that like <laughs> like triggered this like sequence of events that basically got him caught. I don't think they actually ever like fully proved it, but like they raided his apartment and I won't spoil it, but I, he was definitely faking those, those wines. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, he's he passing it off on a lot of people. That, sure. you know, they didn't have that, like, level of qualification to know exactly what they're looking for. But once the right person tasted it, they were like, absolutely not. Like, this is wrong. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. Oh, that level of tasting is, is so amazing. Okay, so the second one I want to talk about, it's called, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, is acetaldehyde. So this is another compound that early in fermentation is present um, because yeast produces it in their metabolic cycle. The problem is if you also then have too much oxygen in the beer. So when you first pitch your yeast, depending on whether you're home brewing, you have the equipment available or these massive breweries, they're going to oxygenate their beer. So they're going to put like an oxygen stone or in some way infuse the wort with oxygen. That's going to create a healthier yeast because the yeast now have oxygen to, to work with. And you're less likely to get like an anaerobic bacteria infection. But the problem is that later on when you're when you're doing like hop additions, if you do some sort of like 
hop whirlpool or something like that you have to do those in um, in isolation without too much oxygen present because if you add more oxygen later in fermentation now that can the yeast are done consuming it um, but the oxygen will oxidize different compounds and the ethanol in the beer can get oxidized into acetaldehyde so basically it's like an oxygen infection gotcha or the other time this happens is if you have yeast that are not healthy and a lot of your, your yeast die off when they die, they like explode, the cells explode, and they release acetaldehyde. So that's the other reason you would get it. It really gives insight into like how delicate of, oh a, ba- gosh, of a balance right? it is because both of these two that you mentioned, it's like something you need. Like you need the beer to be oxygenated for part of it, mm-hmm. but then you don't want it for another part of it. It's really tricky to get the balance right. Yep. And this is another um, time where they would use the krausening. Okay. Add active wort um, just to get a head start on the wort, so the yeast is really, really healthy. Gotcha. And active, but this one is gonna taste like apples, kind of like like apple cider vinegar, oxidized apple kind of taste, which again is not always horrible. You know, if you think like green apple flavor in your beer is not horrible, but there will be a level that reaches it, it just becomes um, off-putting. No, that makes sense. And again, like you said, it's one of those things that would be difficult, especially depending on the style of beer. It might be hard to pick out that specific flavor. So is that something else they train themselves with uh, to like learn how to taste it in beer? So yeah, apparently you can just buy green apple extract on Amazon. Oh, okay. And just put that in your beer. Well, there you go. And what's interesting, interesting side note, Budweiser contains low levels of acetaldehyde as part of their flavor profile. Oh, really? So they're intentionally... It's part of the flavor profile of yeah. Uh, Budweiser, yeah. Huh, fascinating. Another reason why you don't want it in your beer. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Sorry, Budweiser. Steven is a macro brew hater. <laughs> no. <laughs> they are very efficient at what they do. Very, very efficient, yes. Yeah, we're doing our 10-part docuseries on them, remember? Yeah. No, I, I know. It's for, it's, um, what was the conditions? Oh, it's when we get signed by Netflix, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So look forward to that. <laughs> I'm sure they're, they're probably taking on, like, angel investors to be able to afford us. Yeah. They need, they need a capital infusion. I, yeah. under, I understand. It's, it's going to be a while. <laughs> it's going to be a while to raise the money needed. Okay, so we'll move on to our fourth one. Or sorry, the third. getting way ahead of myself. The third one, it is Mercaptan, M-E-R-C-A-P-T-A-N. And what's interesting, you know, we talked about the uh, Phantasm powder, which is like a thiol booster. So this is actually a thiol compound. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, but it is not one you want. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not, we're not going to see... Uh... After Phantasm Powder, we're not going to have a Mercapitan base. <laughs> no. So in my little guide on you know how to learn to parse this out, they said, walk out to your garbage can, open it up, and stick your face in it. Oh, no. So, yeah, it's like a garbage, rotten vegetable kind of flavor. Oh, gosh. That sounds horrible. So that I feel like I'd be able to taste. What causes this? So the most common cause of... Mercaptan levels being too high on your beer is a bacterial infection. Okay. There's another like rare kind of, again, yeast dying release of Mercaptan, but for the most part, it's you just didn't clean your stuff. Gotcha. In a way, it's like. This is not about like an imbalance. This is almost just an error. Yeah, exactly. Like you didn't clean your equipment. And what you get is a garbage beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes sense. Can you um can you smell your pee after you eat asparagus? Yeah, unfortunately. That's for Captain. I hate that. Yeah. And that's that doesn't affect everybody, right? Well, not everybody can smell it. Okay, I can smell it and I hate it. So everyone produces it in their urine, but not everyone can smell it. Gotcha. Okay, well I can I can and I don't. Yeah, well that yeah. If you smell that in your beer, you'll know why. 
Yeah, well, now I can impress my friends with my my knowledge. <laughs> uh, any questions about Mercaptain? No, let's go. I'd like to move on from this. Other than please don't <laughs> put that in my beer. Yeah, that sounds awful. The fourth one, the fourth like really common one, and this is a lot less common now because you have most beers are in cans and like dark bottles is another way to avoid this. But anyway, it's called light struck. It just means that the beer is infected by light. So too much light ends up changing the compound structure of some of the hop oils and it creates a kind of skunky sulfury flavor and smell so what you're gonna when you're really gonna see this is in like a lighter bottle or if you're like a home brewer and you're brewing in like a glass carboy or a plastic fermenter and you put it somewhere where it's getting hit by light you're gonna get light infections so it can almost be a it can be almost at any point um, in the life cycle of the beer. You just don't want a lot of light getting in. Yeah. What's interesting is like the way to practice this would just be to, you know, leave like a Corona or something. Yeah. Intentionally light strike your beer. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, something that's in a clear bottle and put it out. The beers that would more most likely be affected by this too are heavily hopped beers because that's what it's, it's affecting. So. Oh, okay. Those um, hop acids. Yeah. So if you ever see an IPA in a light-colored bottle, run, <laughs> run, run very fast in another direction. I actually kind of want to try this now, like to intentionally like do a side-by-side tasting, um, and you know, do keep one beer like safe in the fridge, then let one beer take on some That's light. Yeah. Yeah, and interesting. Taste them and see if I could tell the difference. You probably could, man, because you're you're a super taster. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so anyway i won't go into too many more um but even uh a good example of like one that we talked about where they can be present in beers but you don't know, like at a certain level it just becomes bad would be like your banana esters mm. um which can be really good and like a hefeweizen that's what gives it like the banana and clove flavor um but you go too high and you become unbalanced and it gets becomes very very off-putting when you have too many esters in your beer so no that makes sense and again those are just like flavors that you know compounds that are created from fermentation you know so they're all naturally occurring it's just at what level are they in the beer and then also at like you know what do you do to during the brewing process to control the levels of those different compounds so it's a very delicate process yeah it really is all about like balance like throughout the whole process yeah a healthy yeast fermentation is really important it makes a lot of sense too, like why homebrewing is so hard, and then also why, when a brewery scales up their production, a lot of times they run into problems because they're everything is getting changed. You're doing much bigger batches, then you gotta kind of you have to almost re-fine tune the whole process all over again. Yeah. Yeah, and cleanliness. Cleanliness yes. is huge. Like, and you scale up to bigger equipment and stuff, and Man, it's just hard to keep all that stuff clean. And I mean, you know, you think of some of those breweries, well, like Russian River now, they have their sour side completely separate in their new facility because the one thing you don't want is that wild yeast crossing over. Because <laughs> once, as far as I understand, once that happens, it's almost game over. <laughs> I, don't know, I guess you can bleach all your stuff. But. Yeah, well, that'd be quite a process. You'd have to take the. You have to stop brewing beer for quite a while to do that. I, I, I imagine. But yeah, they kept them separate because they really don't want cross contamination. Yeah. Um. There's a brewery in. Uh, oh, it's um. It's by you. It's Lake Berryessa Brewing or Berryessa Brewing or whatever. They're also a winery, so it's. So they have the Berryessa Brewing side and the Berryessa Winery side. And um, I was at an event where they were serving a bunch of their beers and. I asked them, like, because they didn't have a sour. And I asked them, like, hey, you guys, like, thinking about brewing any sours? And they were like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, we have our wine side, and we don't want any weird bacteria coming over. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. That would be very bad. So they're like, nope, we're not even messing around with that noise. So you think even if, um, you know, even with working something as, I don't know, as benign 
as like a lactobacillus or something, you know, not even like a like a bretonomyces. Like that's gonna run wild. Like that's a true wild yeast. Um, but like a even like a souring bacteria, like you just they don't they don't even anywhere near their wine. <laughs> At least do not bring that into our facility. Yeah. So that was interesting. Yeah, that is actually fascinating. Uh, but yeah, washing. I think I would say that the majority of these off flavors are going to come from some sort of infection. I've had home brews that were fine at first, and then like a few weeks later, they were awful. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know whether something ended up infecting it, and um, it just took a couple weeks to fully uh, <laughs> take ex- over, express, yeah, yeah, yeah. or something. But uh, it's, it is really hard. Cleanliness. And keeping everything sterile is really hard. No, I believe it. That makes sense. And it, it's like one, you make one little mistake there and it can kind of get magnified. So cool. anyway, if you ever, um, you can even look online. There's there's guides if you ever want to try and, you know, do a sort of off-flavor tasting uh, to try and learn these things. There's there's guides. Uh, I think I, I really want to do something I really want to do. Okay, we're going to get certified. Add us, <laughs> to, add us to the bucket list. I give yeah, our podcast so much cred. Oh, heck yeah. We're certified. Because <laughs> definitely... I listen to a couple other podcasts, and I'm always like surprised somehow at how well they are at like, parsing out flavors. and I don't know. Part it's of our all probably we show. But... We do it live. That's part of the problem. Like I find it very difficult to do like while we're recording. Yeah, sure. But it makes it more fun. But I, if, I, I, if it was just me... And they're not, you know, sitting alone. That makes it sound kind of sad, huh? Sitting alone at my kitchen table. That's actually, that's my favorite way to taste beer is like by myself with no distractions. But yeah, I know. But that. I had, I had it, so many beers today. Yeah. Like, and that was the experience. I was just sitting at my kitchen table being able to parse through. You want to know what one of the beers I drank today was? You want to talk about gimmicky beers, okay? This is sour ale. With tricks cereal. Oh boy. <laughs> Skittles. <laughs> Strawberry, pineapple, vanilla, and lactose. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Sounds like a great wreck. It was so good. Really? It's so good. Do you remember what it's like, called? Yeah, it's called uh Rainbow Smuggles or something. Rainbow Smiggles. I would actually really like to try that. Actually the can art was pretty funny. It was like the like the rabbit. It was like the um, fermenters, yeah. and it was like the tricks rabbit. He was like vomiting this rainbow into oh, the fermenter. <laughs> oh, so funny! Yeah, no, great beer. Like it was able to capture like it's really funny when you're sitting with a beer and you're like parsing out Skittles. <laughs> that's the flavor. Yeah. But that's exactly what it was. It was like I was like they were able to get the Skittles. On the front end, and I think uh, like the strawberry and pineapple had a little bit to do with that. And then they were able to capture that like, like that fruity cereal milk flavor at the end. It was so awesome. Okay, that actually sounds super far up my alley. I would yeah. love to try that. And then I had a watermelon goza today too that I was able to sit and parse through because those are the beers that I really dissect. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was a good one too. Yeah, so much easier to do. I think we can still do our live tasting, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of, I mean, the other setting too is to do like a bottle share, you know, and have five people around the table all tasting at the same time to the level of like parsing out flavors. And... Yeah, you're actually focusing on that. It's like that's what you're doing because I think a lot of beer drinking takes place in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's nice when you're if you're with some other you know, huge beer nerds actually tasting the beer is what you're doing. That's the main focus of what's going on. So that I, that I also enjoy. Um, but ever since Steven moved away, there's very few people. I was going to say, that's what yeah. we, we would do when we get Yeah, <laughs> there's very few people that are interested in doing that as the main focus. A lot of my friends like drinking good beer, but they want to hang out and chat and then also drink good beer. But I'm like, we, no. We did a little bit of that at your bachelor party. That was fun. Yes. Or we were all drinking at the same time and working through it together. That was fun. Yeah, so that's what I like to do. But yeah, yeah. that's a little bit more rare for people. But 
I think that's a wrap on this episode. Maybe something we could revisit. Maybe we'll have to set up a tasting where we actually do these. <laughs> that would be fun, actually, to do yeah. an episode where the light strike beer and add the uh, how this, like that is dicetal to beer. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to buy some butter compound. <laughs> put it in the left, put it good, in your beer. It's a good thing to just have around. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you want popcorn. All right. Well, if you are enjoying the podcast, we would love it if you would leave us a review on whatever you listen on. And then if you want to reach out to us, you can actually email us at contact.attenuation at gmail. And then we are also on Instagram where we have over 30 followers. Is hey, it 30 or 30? It's over 40 now. No, no, but we always say we're over 30. Remember, we agreed. Yeah, but you can say over 40 now. Oh, okay. We have over 40 followers. But yeah, wouldn't it be cool if we had like 10,000 followers, but we still just said over 40? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But we do have over 40. And that is attenuation.podcast. And I've been seriously slacking. Steven's been carrying the Instagram, so I'm going to have to post it. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that is going to wrap it. My name is Jason. And I am joined by my best friend since eighth grade, Steven. That's me. (laughs) And we are signing off. So cheers. And we'll see you next week for episode 15. All right. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Attenuation of Your Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And follow us on Instagram or Facebook for more fun content. Catch you next week. Cheers. Cheers.